Who says tech can't be human? I want to take the opportunity to try to do something new because your knowledge is valuable no matter how much or how little that you have because everybody can learn something from everyone. That's kind of always the way I look at it. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your team's time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we've brought in a longtime fan of the podcast, someone that has transitioned from another field outside of cybersecurity. Our guest this episode is Kenneth Ellington. Kenneth is a senior cybersecurity consultant at a big four consulting firm and also the founder of Ellington Cyber Academy. Kenneth, I know you said that this episode is three years overdue. I'm glad we're doing it today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. We are so excited to have this chat, Kenneth. We were speaking to Grace. Grace is the one to help set this all up together. <laughs> Good friends of ours. She mentioned that you went from the Publix deli counter to becoming your own entrepreneur, becoming a very deep in the sore and sim space. Tell us a little bit about that transition. How does one go from being at the deli counter to becoming a cybersecurity practitioner? Technically, I guess three years ago, I was working on Public Deli, frying chicken, making sandwiches. It wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I decided to make a change because I was still in college. So I've been working up there ever since. So my journey started, I got a chance taken on me. So the, I won't say VP, but one of the heads of public security just happened to come to my store. My store manager knew I was thinking about switching my major from business management to IT. And she's like, hey, Kenneth, the head of public security wants to come to your store. Do you want to have a meal with them? I'm like, yes, please. So she set that up with me. His name was Rick Ampola. So he sat me down in the back office. He explained to me how he wanted me to work for his security team as an intern next year. But the internship position just got filled because it was that summer. So he said, Kenneth, you can do all these steps on my list for you over the next nine months. I can guarantee you a spot on my internship team next year. So fast forward, I do everything that he asked of me. I interview with the team. And I get the position. So that's high broken broken side of security. And I've loved every moment of it ever since. That internship was amazing. I met some of those like smart, intelligent, kind people I've ever met in my entire life. I honestly don't have any complaints about working at Publix from the corporate side. It was awesome. I'll do it again in a heartbeat. But after that, I decided that I still want to keep my knowledge. Because you know how with the internships normally, if you don't apply the knowledge afterwards, you lose it. I wanted to still keep that knowledge. So I decided to partner with Blackson Cybersecurity which I'm doing work for them today. And through them, I was a campus ambassador. So I did recruitment for them. I did events for them. Everything was going great. That was the fall of 2019. And then spring of 2020, COVID hits. That's my senior year of college, which really sucked. I didn't get to walk. It was funny. 
this was back like end of February because I was doing mostly remote for my classes because I only had two classes left. I said goodbye to my teachers. I'm like, I'll, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Didn't see them until like a year and a half later. So it sucked really badly. So I'll basically stuck at home with my parents every single day, all day. So during COVID, I was bored. So Michaela, who's the CEO of Blacks and Cybersecurity, she asked me, hey, Kenneth, I'm thinking about doing a Splunk course. You want to join? I'm like, sure. I'm like, who's going to lead it? She's like, you are. I'm like, oh, okay. I can do that. So that's how I kind of got started in professional training. So I developed the course curriculum, the slide decks, all the materials, all the lab guides. I developed that from scratch and I taught my first class on it. Everyone loved it. So I taught it again. Everyone still loved it. I kept teaching it for the past two years. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, maybe I, could turn, I should turn this into business. But I'm like, nah, I'm like, I can't be a business owner. That's not me. And then people were willing to pay me for it. I'm like, oh, okay. I might actually have to be turned into a business. So that's how I started Owenson Cyber Academy or ECA for short. I just wanted to bridge the gap. There's not a lot of people that look like us in cybersecurity, as you guys know. So I wanted to give a safe community for them to explore the sim and source space and get placed afterwards. I love that story. It's a story of your hard work. It's a story of chance and a story of just being at the right place at the right time and doing what you need to do. But it sounds like you're almost drawing in your own community. People are coming to you because maybe they experience your energy or they see the knowledge or the commitment that you have to cyber. Now that you're in the industry and you have your own company and you're training people, what have you found to be the areas that you're most confident in, that you feel like you can't lose? But what about also the areas that maybe you're new to as a teacher that you're still getting your footing in as we speak? So probably the biggest areas of strength, which is kind of ironic because I'm a naturally, I'm a very introverted person. So even like four years ago, I couldn't ever imagine doing this. I would like tense up. I would clam up. I couldn't like really talk to people that much. So like building on my soft skills has really helped me set myself apart compared to my competition. Because honestly, I can teach anyone any of the similar smart technologies if you give me time a couple months. But I can't teach you how to be a good person or not be an a-hole to like a client or to a prospect. Those are skills you have to learn on your own. And because I worked at Publix for four years in the deli, dealing with customers that want to throw hot soup at me or have like a fight, fist fight over like a box of fried chicken, forced me to develop those soft skills and how to talk to people and how to communicate and how to de-escalate situations. That's how I set myself apart. As a technical skill, I learned on the job. People were patient with me, so that wasn't really the hardest part. I would probably say there's like some new technologies that I'm trying to learn because I do want to speak to them in the future, like blockchain technology and then some different sim and platforms. So those are the areas that I'm trying to develop in, as with my soft skills as well. So public speaking is also one of the other things I'm still trying to get better at. Not being as nervous when I talk to people is another skill that I've been trying to learn over the years. Because again, I'm a very introverted person, so it doesn't come natural to me. But it's all a process. It's making sure you don't get too high or too down during the situations. And understanding that if you surround yourself with the right people, uh, you can achieve anything that you need to achieve. A hundred percent. You got to surround yourself with the right folks. And to be honest, I mean, you're doing great right now. So I don't think there should be any reason for you to be nervous when speaking to people who have been some of your influences over the last few years, whether it's from a cybersecurity perspective or teaching or creating content, who have been some of the folks that you're borrowing from or listening to that really get you jazzed up about the things that you have going on? So from a technical perspective, my first mentor, and he's still a really good friend of mine, Steve Coplin. He's like a Splunk expert at TransUnion. He's the one that told me to go into, go into Splunk. I had no idea what Splunk was when I first reached out to him. And he literally took me under his wings and just taught me everything that I needed to know, what I should listen to, what I shouldn't listen to. So I'm really appreciative of him doing that because even he has a family too. And I remember I was, like a, I was still a student at USF 
I think we're on like 11 o'clock at night. He was like walking me through some examples. And I really appreciate that. I know he's a busy man. So just for him to take time out of his data to help me out, I'm always going to remember that. And then from like content curation, probably Grace. Grace is awesome. So she's really helped me um, with like some of the advisory stuff and just like mentorship and guidance as I grow my business and throughout my career. Again, like who to listen to in the business field, what products are good, what products are crap, and how to learn how to have thicker skin and not, again, not get too down or too up. There's a lot of times where people put their negative energy on me because they'll say my course is crap. I'm a thief. I'm stealing from. I'm stealing from them. I can get this for free or stuff like that. So just always trying to stay positive and always trying to keep a level head is some of the things that Grace has taught me. Nice. It makes me have the question in my mind of how do you determine what's free and what has a monetary cost to it? Because I would imagine that there's just so much information out there that maybe we could give out for free, but. When a lot of time or research, effort, or this is just a rare and valuable skill that people haven't mainstreamed yet, might be beneficial to add a cost to. So how do you look at it in your mind? So there's a couple of ways I do it. So from my first perspective, I do kickboxing and I do boxing. So I, I train in that on my off days. So in my mind, I would personally, I would never ask my trainer to spend two hours with me and for him to give me that information for free. Granted, I can't technically, everything he's showing me, I can go on YouTube and I can do it, but... It would take me months or years compared to if I have him by my side each and every day. Because there's little nuanced things that he's done before because he's professional at this. He's ex-military that he can train with me. And I can't get that over a video. Can't get that just over a phone call. So that's the, that's the way I differentiate myself. And that's the way I think about it. Would I be willing to pay my price tag if I was a random person and I didn't know who I was? If I can say yes to that, then I normally charge a price towards it. If I say no... They can go on my YouTube channel, for example, or one of my friends' YouTube channels, or I can create a PDF off of that. Then I'll say, no, I'll just make this free, and then they can get that information for free. But if they want more detailed, granular stuff that I've put dozens of hours inside of it, and I know that for any other service for cooking, for training, personal training, they would charge a cost for it, that's normally how I decide to put a price tag on it. For more than two decades, NetSpy has helped companies discover and remediate critical security issues through its platform-driven, human-delivered security testing. NetSpy is much more than a pen testing company, bringing you the most comprehensive suite of offensive security solutions. Visit netspy.com forward slash HBM to learn more. That's netspi.com forward slash HBM. Thank you, Nespy, for sponsoring this episode. So when you put that price tag on your courseware, it, what is the decision logic that comes into play for exactly how much to charge for a course? Because there's definitely a value proposition when it comes to education. Rare and valuable skills tend to command bigger salaries for folks. So the skills that they're learning can change someone's life. You could take someone that is working in a Publix deli and maybe they can apply the knowledge that you are teaching and change their career forever. So what are some of the things that you're thinking about when it comes to like setting the pricing? Because I know you mentioned the thing about folks saying that you were stealing courseware, which I'm sure isn't the case. But what all the decision logic and everything that goes into that from your perspective? So normally I try to see what other people in the field are charging. And then I'm very honest with myself, what my skill level is and the value I bring towards it. And because I've been doing this for over two years, technically, so I've gotten a pretty good gauge as to what people are willing to pay for and the value that I can bring. 
So I try to keep it at least like half of what the vendors would normally charge for their trainings. So that's normally what I set my baseline at. And then through different testimonials and then different marketing things I've been doing with different people through previous customers and students, I've, that's how I've come at my price point. Again, I, as always, as I get better, as I improve, as the value gets higher from what I'm offering, I'll start to incrementally increase my price. But I don't ever want to charge someone $10,000 for what I do. I don't think that's fair. And I want them to be able to afford it. That makes a lot of sense in the world. You said you found us pretty early on, both in your journey and our journey. How did you even find us in the first place? I think it was actually Michaela that told me about you guys. Because this was, I think, directly after I finished my internship at Publix. So this was like, I think, the fall of 2019, like September. And I think I saw you guys on Spotify. And I love your content. I want to get on. But I know I need more experience. So I've just been training myself up. Doing other podcasts. So I prepare myself for this opportunity. That's super cool. As you've transitioned from not being in cybersecurity at all to being a cybersecurity practitioner to then training other practitioners, what has been like the most impactful moment that you've had throughout this career? Was there a moment that you can think of that was, wow, this is pretty surreal of a moment for me? Yeah. One of the best moments, this was, I want to say, early in the year. So one of my first mentees, named Joshua, he works at Rocket Mortgage. So Joshua, he came from Nigeria he came here to better his life and better his family. So he went to college. He was working at Ross. He was working at McDonald's. So I decided he because he reached out to me. He saw some of the content I was doing. And he wanted me to mentor him. And so I said, sure. I didn't charge him anything for it. And I worked with him over the past like nine months. And he just graduated from Georgia State University. And he's now getting his master's from Kansas State University in cybersecurity. And he also got a job at Rocket Mortgage. So that was really like one of the most awesome things I've ever experienced. Because I was able to make a positive impact in someone's life just by me helping them from my, where my family comes from. That means a lot just to do that, just to help somebody out so they can be in a better position than what their parents, what their family was. That's everything to me. That's, that's always what I keep in the back of my mind whenever I get down or whenever I have a, have a bad day, knowing that I can make a positive impact in someone's life. And what's beautiful about that, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It can be one person that takes your course or looks at the content that you produce and it's super fulfilling. And in fact, I feel like that even with any negative comments, because in Hacker Valley, we get negative comments too from time to time. One great comment can offset a hundred negative comments from my perspective, because as long as you're helping people and bettering them in whatever it is that they are looking to do, empowering them, inspiring them, educating them, whatever it is, I think is really something special that we have in this community of cybersecurity. Do you feel like that we still have a ways to go when it comes to leveling everyone up together? Do you feel like we've come a long way in the time that you've been in cybersecurity? What are some of your thoughts on educating the community as it stands right now? I think we still have a long way to go. Because when I originally started, this was back in like 2018, that was, I went to my first tech conference. And my dad's obviously a software engineer. He put in for the past 25 years. And he told me this. He told me there's not a lot of people that look like us. I'm in cybersecurity. And I didn't really understand what he meant. So I went to B-Sides Tampa. When I went there, I remember, I think there was like 300 people in a conference room. And I think there was like maybe three or four black or brown people. And there was like maybe 20 women out of 300 people. And that's really when it clicked. So I still think we have a long way to go to get everyone up to scale and give them those opportunities, especially at the sea level. So I'm trying to, that's why I'm trying to create my pipeline so they can have those opportunities 
they can get in front of those big name people so they can get those opportunities that they've been looking for. Right now, it looks like you're pretty split when it comes to the stuff that you focus on, whether you're looking at SOAR or SIM. Do you feel that percentage has changed over time? Are you doing more SIM now than SOAR? How has that been working out? I started using SOAR back at my old job before I went to my new one this past year. That was my first hands-on experience with SOAR. And it kind of really piqued my interest since the two platforms are normally so integrated together. I've been trying to get more hands-on with XOR and Phantom because I do want to gain more experience with that so I can help my students out even more. Because there's a, lot, there's a lot of cool integrations you can do to automate a lot of the mundane tasks that people don't like to do. Tell us a little bit about the company that you've created. What sorts of things are you looking to do with it? What's the impact, the legacy that you're trying to have? And do you see anything in the future that you might be incorporating that you don't have just yet? So the biggest things we're doing right now, we have our introduction to Spunk program, so Spunk and Sim. That's like our bread and butter. So we're more of like, I would say like a finishing course. So a lot of our students, people that we try to recruit, they normally have experience in either cyber or IT. They're trying to just upskill themselves, graduate straight out of college or people that are, have been in like application or IT support and they want to learn SIM and SOAR. That's normally who we try to market towards. So in the coming, I would say next three to six months, we're going to try to build out the um, engineering portions and the engineering architecture portions of our programs. So the what's it, XOR and then learning how to configure different SIMs and ingest data properly. So with that will probably be, be finished hopefully by this winter, depending on quickly I can scale up. And then from like a legacy perspective, I want to leave a positive mark on this world, just make it better than when I got here. So I'm hoping to, one of my big goals, I don't know what's going to happen because my family's from Jamaica. So I'm hoping I can maybe put ECA there someday or at least do like do a recruitment from there and i'd probably get like half off because the currency rates crazy there so trying to recruit people give them those opportunities that they normally wouldn't have in my home country is one of the cool things i want to do that is incredible when i think about technology things change all the time you have some folks that talk about sim these days and some folks i'm sure you've seen the headlines sim is dead some folks look at things like sores some people say the SOAR is the next big thing. How do you feel about the future of these two different paradigms? Do you see like SIM is changing? Is there a better way to do SIM? And why do you think people have such a hang up, especially when it comes to the SIM market? From my perspective, SIM is evolving. So like legacy SIMs like ArcSight or Curator are going to probably go away. And you're going to have more of the next gen SIMs. And those are going to probably be more integrated. Microsoft Sentinel, because that's a SIM and SOAR. I think that's what the future is going to be. You're going to have multiple platforms kind of bound together to serve on one function. So instead of it being completely separate, you're going to have them together. So you would have the SIM and the SOAR platform integrated. So it's a pretty seamless integration between you getting alerts, those writing to incidents, and then those incidents being automated in some type of workbook or playbook. I also think a lot of clients and a lot of people in our companies are going to be moving towards the cloud as they've been for the past five years. I think that's going to be something that's going to be very important moving forward. So knowing and understanding how the cloud works, the extra security vulnerabilities that come from having a cloud environment and an on-prem environment, I think are going to be two of the biggest things moving forward next probably five years. One of the big things that we often hear people talk about when they're thinking about doing content, especially when they're early on in their career, is that they feel like they don't have the place to produce content because they're so new. But it seems like you were able to acclimate relatively quickly and then say, 
I have something to say, and I have something to say that I think is going to be valuable for everyone else out there. What would you have to say to those folks out there that they're new, but they're like, you know what? I want to start making content, but I just don't know how. Do you have a piece of advice for those folks? So one of my favorite quotes is, you're never too young to learn, you're never too old to teach. Or I think it's flipped around. But anyways, from that quote, it's just that I always take the opportunity to try to do something new because your knowledge is valuable no matter how much or how little that you have because everybody can learn something from everyone. That's always the way I look at it because I don't know. I personally don't know everything. So I always try to, whenever I talk to people, try to learn what they know so I can better myself and I can try to get back towards them to see if maybe my knowledge can help them. Granted, nobody knows what I'm ever talking about when I say Simran Sore, even my parents a lot of times. So it's a challenge. Even when I explain it, they still don't understand, but I still try to help out however I can. So just having that type of mindset and understanding that it may take time, it may take you months or a couple of years to get up to speed for people to actually like your content as you improve the process, but it will happen with time. Outstanding, Kenneth. We are going to put all of your information down in the show notes for anyone that's listening to this to learn more about what you have going on and learn more about you. But is there anything else that you'd want to bring up right now that would be beneficial for everyone that's listening today? If my last message would be, I think we touched on a little bit earlier, but one of the best things I can say is truly do surround yourself with people that care about you because the higher up you go, the more people want to pull you down. I've experienced this. I learned the hard way. So that's one little piece of advice I can give. I would say have people by your side that truly have your best interests at heart and you'll get a lot farther in life than on the other end. Surround yourself with people that care and will support you. Great advice, Kenneth. Kenneth, it was an absolute honor to have you on the podcast today. Like I said, we're going to drop all your information into the show notes below for anyone that's listening to this. And with that, we will see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.